Hello, friends. Thank you so much for tuning into the Dow of Miracles podcast. This is your host, Sarah. And today we're going to go back in time and talk about the root, the start of this miracle journey. Now, we're getting into a lot of new concepts about miracles that people have probably never discussed in this manner before. And there's a lot more to come. So instead of just talking about things that um, have happened to me, I'd rather take everyone on the journey and we have the option to draw our own conclusions from people's experiences with miracles. So I'm going to go back in time to a cold day in New York City when I was about 21 years old. I was club hopping with a good friend of mine. So we were in Manhattan in the, at night. We, we didn't go out before 10 o'clock, so it was probably after 11 when all of this started. And what happened was that we're driving around. Yes, I had a car. I came in from an apartment that I was living with a bunch of girls in Queens, and my friend lived in the city. I picked her up in my car, and when, as long as we weren't going to some very crowded parts of town, we could usually find parking within reasonable distance of where we were going. We pulled over the, pulled over the car, found a place to park, and before we had a chance to get out, a group of strangers just started pointing at my car. We thought they were pointing at us, and then we realized when we were out of the car, they weren't pointing at us at all. What happened was that we looked at the car, we walked around the car, we, we looked, it looked like they were pointing to the front passenger side area um, of that general, the tire, the front end of the car, not sure. So we walked around the car, looked around, said, that was weird. Okay, let's just take it as it goes. And we went on our way and we went to our first club. The second time a similar thing happened, we stopped again. Another group of strangers started pointing to the front passenger side tire of my car. And we just thought, wow, this is just crazy. What is going on? So this time I looked a little closer. I examined the tire. My friend was kind of hanging out watching me, and she didn't see it. And I asked her, and she said, no, I don't see anything. I don't know what that is. That's just really bizarre. And we went on our way again. And we just thought, how weird, because people in New York City don't really bother each other with other people's business. They just stay in their own travel lanes, you know, because if, if people are just very rushed in their own world, there's so much going on in the city. It's so easy to be distracted. It's um, insular. I think insular is a good word for a lot of the way people handle it. Because especially when you're a young, reasonably attractive 20-something, there's a lot of scams going on. There's a lot of people trying to pull you into their scams. So you just ignore it. And people just don't interact that way. So the third time, and this is all a precursor because this is how my life was saved in advance. For the first time, my life was saved three times in New York City in my early 20s. But this story is leading to how my life was saved in advance by three sets of strangers. So the third woman who pointed at the front passenger side tire of my car was in the passenger seat of some kind of brown sedan, four windows. She was not out for a Saturday night 
um, in the way we were. She was very simple, had um, just brown hair pulled back in a ponytail, no makeup on, and we were gridlocked in traffic. We were in some part of town that was completely jam-packed. So she was going across the intersection completely perpendicular to us. We were stopped at the light, or in gridlock, and probably in the middle, past the light, maybe a little bit. And she was going at a 90-degree angle across the intersection, and she reached out of the car and started pointing to our car. Again, the same front passenger side area. And I'm shaking my head, and I'm saying, what, what? And she starts to roll down her window, and she was on my friend's side of the car. She, we looked kind of through the windshield, and she was on the passenger side as, as they inched through traffic. And as soon as she rolled down her window to say something, her driver just took off. He saw a break. I guess the light changed or something, got a break, and took off. So we never got to hear what it was she was going to tell us about the car. And we said, my goodness, that's three times in a row. That was insane. So once again, as soon as I was out of traffic, I pulled the car over again, parked it under a streetlight, got out of the car, ran around the car twice, got down on my hands and knees because I couldn't see anything wrong on my little mini skirt and stockings and platform shoes. Could have been in fishnets, who knows? And it was cold and I had a velvety skirt on. I remember all of it. And I'm on my hands and knees in the sticky, mucky, disgusting, dirty, grungy streets of New York, rubbing my hands around this tire to make sure there was nothing wrong with it. And there wasn't. And I knew for sure that whatever was going on was, it had to be just folly. It had to be some kind of weird thing. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I just thought it was the weirdest thing ever. But you blow it off. There's nothing happening. Nothing's going on brushed it off, and we went to a diner, had our food, and I dropped her off on our Upper East Side apartment, and it was time for me to go home and to Queens. So I pull up to a red light <laughs> before it turns green to turn left onto the 59th Street Bridge to go to back to home to Queens, where I was sharing an apartment with a bunch of girls. And someone shows up at my window. Now, this is not unusual for Manhattan. There are people at that, I don't know if they do it so much now, but at that part, at that time in my life, there were just a lot of people who would come up to your car with a bucket full of disgusting muck and want to clean your windshield for a dollar or two. And this person wasn't anything like that. Yeah, it's four in the morning. I'm a young girl alone. There's no way I'm going to open my window and talk to this man. And he's still trying to get my attention, but he's not... He's not in any manner that of the people that usually come up to my car. I kind of look at him out of the corner of my eye, and he's wearing a mechanic's uniform, and he has that kind of a brown hair, bowl haircut, and a mustache. He comes up to me and says, hey, hey, you have a big nail sticking out of the passenger side tire of your car. You are never going to make it across the bridge without a flat, without a blowout. And... If I, I knew that if I had a nail sticking outside of my tire, that that was absolutely true. The bridges was full. The bridges were full of pot holes and puck marks and horrible, bumpy concrete. They were just old and patched and not really um, repaved in any way. 
And he points to his shop and he said, do you see that shop over there? And it, I did. It was across the intersection, kind of diagonally from where I was. And it was at the first floor of a building. Now, back then, um, there were definitely things like auto shops and gas stations in the first floor of the building. I don't know if they have that anymore. I know they still have tons of parking garages and things like that. And he said, come to my shop. I'll fix it for you really quickly. And you can be on your way and you won't have a blowout. Now, normally, I would never, ever um, consider that. But it's four in the morning. And he is could be absolutely right. He didn't look like some kind of vagrant or someone who was looking to scam me or anything else. The only thing was, I didn't even see how he came up to my car. He just automatically appeared there. And the only thing I can think of is my passenger side tire. What? Because now he's the fourth person who has told me that something is wrong with my tire. I'm not even thinking that, oh, that's really inconvenient that I could see other tires, areas of the car through my rearview mirrors, but um, not that one. And I'm thinking, my goodness, what if he's right? What if there is a huge nail sticking out of my tire? And then all of a sudden I have a blowout on the bridge and the cops or the rescue people can't get to me because of just blocking up traffic. Uh, people can't get around me. And then who's going to take advantage of a young girl alone on a bridge in the middle of nowhere, well, in the middle of Manhattan, but in the middle of a bridge, <laughs> you can't, you can't get any worse than that. And these, this is before we all had cell phones, people. This is when cell phones were probably just getting started or maybe just the few richest people had them. I'm not sure. It was, it was a while back. And I don't know what to do. I want to believe him because there's something about him that I trust. And I don't know what it is because I don't trust anyone in New York late at night. But it's late. It's four in the morning later. It is, I'm, my senses are not properly functioning because I'm tired. We've had quite the night out. Um, at that point, I, I wasn't drunk or I wasn't on drugs or anything like that. It was just the normal exhaustion and wow, he's telling me about my tire again. Maybe this is finally it. Maybe the other three were just warnings for that. And so I, I nod and I think, okay, it's got to be better to just check out this tire in this garage than to go across the bridge and really have um, put myself in jeopardy. So I'm set to go. I just kind of point at it and he starts walking along with the car. And all of a sudden, I just remember that I got out of the car on my hands and knees in the sticky muck of New York City, and I checked that tire. There had to be a reason for that. There had to be a reason that I got out and rubbed my hands around this tire, and it is fine. My tire is fine. I'm not going to listen to him. It's a scam. And I take off, and I go over the bridge, and I see him throw his arms up in the background because he knew he had me. So the next... I don't know, what does it take to go over the bridge? Five minutes, maybe, max. It felt like an hour. I was shaking. I was convulsing. My car is bumping up and down. And I am having maybe a nervous breakdown <laughs> going across and the bridge. And there's people honking at me and trying to fly past me. And I'm trying to go slow and my body's shaking. And I really believe I'm going to have a blowout on this bridge. And I think, well, if that's the case, maybe that guy will send a tow truck 
but at least the police will be there. And I get to the other side of the bridge and I pull out underneath it. And I, once again, no cell phone. I look for pay phones. I'm looking who I can call to pick me up if I need help. Um, there's always been under the bridges, like people doing crack and meth and all sorts of things. And I was kind of looking around and it looked clear. So I grabbed my keys and I can just see like a tiny bit of lavender skies coming up. Um, so it was probably close to five, maybe at that point. I don't know. It was later than I thought. And I get out under the bridge and I go around to the tire and there, there it is. I, I don't see a nail. And I drop down onto my knees for the second time. And I just, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And my body just collapses in relief and the stress and the anxiety and all of that stuff. And it was a complete scam. And that was the first miracle that saved my life. Why is it a miracle? Number one, my life was saved. Number two, these consciousness forces, God, spirit, divine, whatever you want to call it, saw what was going to happen that night and changed its outcome. It saw that I was, for the first time in, I guess I was going to New York City since I was maybe 16 or 15, so maybe in the first time in five or six years, someone was going to be able to scam me, that I was going to believe this person because there was something about him that was different than anyone else that tried to scam me. There was something really believable about him. And the universe saw that I would be in horrible danger and that it sent three sets of people to save my life just by their actions. And I wouldn't even recognize those people on the street. I couldn't even tell you what they were wearing or what they looked like. They, I could never, ever thank these people. I'm not even sure they were even pointing at my car. I don't even know if they knew they were involving themselves in someone else's business. And they certainly didn't know they were saving a young girl's life. A couple of years later, I talked to a New York City cop about what happened. I regret that I was just so exhausted and relieved to be home and not scammed and to be safe and all of that. I never even thought to call the police and report the guy, um, which is another mind-bending thing. When you're 20, 21, you don't, and you're just glad that you weren't the victim, I think. I wasn't in the mindset of thinking about others at that point because it was New York and stuff happens every day. Horrible things and crazy things and just strange and odd weirdness of New York happened every day. It was just another thing that happened back then. So anyway, a couple of years later when I talked to a New York City police officer, he said, you were so lucky. You were so lucky because at the best, at absolute best, you would have been raped and kidnapped for sex trade. No one would ever have seen your car yet, ever again. At worst, you would be dead, gone, and again, no one would know what happened to you because that car would have gone, disappeared as well into some kind of underground network, whatever. He said, you have no idea how lucky you are, young lady. And I believe that. I completely believe that because this force of consciousness, this God force, this spirit force, this omniscient, all-knowing, ever-present um, force of our conscious creation saw into my future, sent three groups of strangers somehow powerful enough to put strangers into action to save a young girl's life. 
And that was mind-blowing to me. Absolutely mind-blowing to me because it was impossible for me to ignore what just happened. Something worked into in advance to change the future. Now, from everything I've ever been told before that point, that is unquestionably impossible. But it wasn't. It happened. So everything... I knew about my world, everything I'd been told about this world, about being human, it was thrown out the window. Um, yeah. So what happened after that was two more times my life was saved in New York City in my 20s. It wasn't as dramatic as that. The people were sent at the exact moment I desperately needed help. And it was just as effective at saving my life in a different way. And I'll go into those very quickly um, because not because they acted in such a unique mannerism where it became so clear that something was working in advance to save my life, but just because it helped me understand that there is a magnificent force that is watching out for each and every one of us. So I'm going to talk about those two other miracles. Um, the second time my life was saved in New York, I was in the music business and we had a Swedish band um, that we went on a tour with, a Swedish rock band. We had a little local tour um, in the area. I, we rented it, we chartered a little bus and they played at a couple different radio stations and clubs. And it was on, the bus took us to Long Island, but the band was staying in Midtown Manhattan, which is mostly deserted in the middle of the morning, in the middle of the night, early morning. So we had just dropped this band off and I was in front of their hotel um, getting off this bus. And I lived in Brooklyn at that point. Um, I had this amazing loft in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. At that point, I wasn't going to take a subway. Um, it was too late to consider anything else other than a cab. So I'm in front of their hotel uh, between 5th and 6th Avenue in Midtown, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for a cab to come by. The few cabs that come by, every single one of them is filled with people. So no one is stopping. And I'm getting tired because it's late and I have to get up for work the next morning. And it's probably maybe 3 in the morning, I'm not sure, somewhere around there. So I just figure, okay, I'm just going to walk half a block up to Fifth Avenue because that's headed downtown. And I should be able to catch a cab downtown instead of this random street where very few cabs are going. And the ones that are going there are clearly just already filled, taking people home that do live off on the east or west side. Well, my, my street was facing east side. So they're taking people home to the east side, midtown. So I start walking up the street and thinking nothing of it. And all of a sudden I realized someone's following me. And since I'm very intuitive and was born um, kind of very sensitive to healing energies and just energies in general, I can feel that this person has no good intent. And the faster I go, the faster this person goes. And up on my right, which I'm walking up right into, is a big church yard. So it's got bushes and trees and greenery and I, and a short 
metal fence, just a little spiked fence, keeping people out of it, um, except through its proper entries. And I can see what's going on here. I'm like, oh my God, this guy is going to pull me behind those fences, behind the fence, into the trees, behind the bushes, and it is not going to be any good. I could feel his intent. I could feel his intensity, and I could feel his angry, nasty, hard energy. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk out into the middle of the street, and a cab is going to come right this second that's going to pick me up because that is the only option I have. And that's the idea I have in my head. And I don't know if that idea was planted in my head, but I know it's my only choice right now. And I walk out to the middle of the street. And the second I walk out to the middle of the street, there is a cab coming right up to me. And he pulls over. I hop in and the guy jumps the fence and disappears into the bushes. That was the second time my life was saved in New York. Within a couple of years, at least, um, maybe less than the first miracle. And at this point, I know that there is something grand watching over me that has perfect timing and perfect synchronicity. And I knew that that cab was sent there just for me because it didn't stop at the hotel, which was behind me at that point. It was empty, the first one, and it was just finally a cab after so many minutes and minutes and minutes of no cabs coming down the street. So, bam, perfect timing. Someone sent that cab down that street at the right perfect time to save my life. It was unquestionable. So that was the second time my life was saved in New York. And then the third time was almost similar to that one. It was on a subway. I had to, because I lived in Brooklyn, I had to transfer to a couple of different subway lines to get home. And I was downtown and there had just been a train crash. It was one of the east side lines. And it was the E or the F. I don't think we, I don't, I don't remember. Um, but I was walking down a very deserted corridor because the line, the subway line was out. So no, everyone knew not to travel onto that line. But for some reason I needed to go through that to get somewhere else. I just don't remember. But I'm walking down a completely deserted subway corridor which wouldn't have been deserted had there not been a train crash a month or a few weeks earlier. And someone walks up behind me and grabs my hips. Now, talk about our animal instinct. I turned around with all the adrenaline of the world. Like I was scared of myself at that point. And I turn around and I'm staring at him, challenging him. And Thankfully, he wasn't a terribly big guy, and he was a little older, and I was young, and in that moment, I was ferocious, and he's staring at me like, am I going to go after this girl? Am I not? Like, he's still trying to figure it out, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Is this guy going to come after me, or am, am I going to be able to, am I going to have to fight him? I, I really thought I was going to have to fight him. I was ready for a battle, and I thought I was going to have to fight him. And this is going on like in pause for 30, 40 seconds. I don't know. It felt like an eternity because when you're in those moments, you're in your life when something other than the usual is happening, you kind of remember every detail, your senses are heightened. And it felt like quite a while that I'm standing opposed to this guy and he's trying to figure out if he's going to attack me or not. And bam, a group of people 
out of nowhere come down, like three or four people out of nowhere, and they were all together, come down this deserted subway corridor. And the tension of the moment between this guy and I was released, and he scuttered away. So I didn't think that that was dramatic as my first two, or my life was in as much danger, because kind of thought I might win the fight, but I didn't know if he had a knife and or a gun, and I didn't even think of those things at that time. I just knew that this guy was grabbing me, and I was going to have none of it. Um, and, and that's also something that I got to learn about myself in that point, because you don't know how you're going to react when someone attacks you for the first time ever. You have no idea. Am I going to cower? Am I going to, what are you going to do? You, you just don't know until you're confronted with that situation. So it was interesting to see my initial reaction and um, learn something else about myself in that scenario, which was also like, if I, if the guy had a gun and I had that reaction, would I be dead? It's definitely something to think about. And you have to kind of plan for things um, after that, right? Um, it was, is my initial reaction the right reaction? It felt like it for the moment. Would have I had it? Would I have had a different reaction if something different was happened? I don't know. Those are the things um, we get to see. So the miracle, or the yeah, the happening. I, I, I just I lump it into my life saving miracles because it had the same tenets, right? The same strangers were sent to intercede into my path to stop a horrible situation from happening. So I see those three situations as miracles because they did save my life or some, or some very, very bad circumstances that would have happened if the interception of what was supposed to happen or what might have happened wasn't stopped through miracles. And I just trusted from that moment forward that whatever was going to happen to me, I am being taken care of. There was no doubt in my mind, and there still is not, that something grand has my back and has been taking care of me since I was 21 years old and probably many years before that, too. Uh, hard to know for sure, <laughs> but I absolutely have the proof. Because those were the three life-saving miracles were the root of any kind of understanding about miracles. And I did not even know it at the time. It took much later, decades later, almost a couple decades later, to understand that that was the start of my miracle journey. Because at that point, I just thought, wow, that was so cool. I cannot believe that happened. I cannot believe that my life was saved. I didn't blame it on religion or credit religion because that's not the world I came from. I just came out of a biochemistry degree just, I mean, probably months earlier, um, trying to figure out the world through science. And science couldn't explain that. Science absolutely could not explain other than theoretical quantum physics about how something in the future could happen in the present, because we know that. But how would something change the outcome of the future in the present? That's the part that was mind-bending. And that's the part quantum science might be able to explain, but I could not wrap my mind around it at that point in time. So since then, uh, just because I didn't know we have a miracle nature, <laughs> or call it, call your miracle nature, 
a powerful force of consciousness working alongside us to deliver things that we need or that we want. And you know what? We never, ever take the time to acknowledge it. Um, we just go about not questioning it. We rush through our days being so busy. Once in a while, we pause and see something like this, some kind of miracle, and we're either amazed or saddened um, for the situation, the people in the situation, but always amazed at the outcome. But we don't ever pull it apart and ask, what does that mean about our reality? We just accept what we have been told about it being an outlier to our reality. But when it happens three times in a very short period of time, you trust in it. You might not know what it is. You might not be able to explain it, but you start to trust it and you start to see that absolutely you are being taken care of. And unlike other miracles that we kind of got into the five kinds of miracles in the last episode, with the, with the life-saving miracles and the healing miracles, there's not as much surrender involved. It's more like they show up to not only save our lives, but to disrupt our belief systems as well. So what do our life-saving and some of our healing miracles tell us? Well, I believe they define a co-creative, interactive universe, probably conscious universe, I believe that too, where we are all supported and not only for saving our lives, but for growth and personal evolution in the way we need. Um, I needed to see three times. I wasn't going to get out on check my tire on my hands and knees after the first time. I needed three sets of people to come and point at my car for me to get out and check the tire on my own. That's what I needed. Um, if I needed two, great. It probably would have given me two. But it gives you exactly what you need. We're also going to find out that miracles are kind of, by doing this, by interacting with us in such a way, they give us user instructions. They kind of show where they hold their cards. They show the intelligence. They show the intricate details. They show their true nature. We can start looking. Um, when we look, when we talk about our most, they, they tell us where we can start looking, where we start exploring, where we haven't yet. Our most awe-inspiring miracles always appear at the critical moments in our lives. And we always think that's their true nature, but I believe that's our collective observation. I believe they're there all the time and they just step forward in a massive way because we're not paying attention or we're going to do something stupid like talk to the guy at four in the morning that you never would have talked to uh, any other time in New York City and, and go along with him. Um, they're prodding us directionally all the time, but we're just so busy surviving. We're not paying attention to the cues and clues that our divine consciousness interacts with us on a daily basis. And there's a bunch of them. We're going to get into those as well. So when you look at miracles like this, we just see that our conscious nature is just active in our lives all along. It just steps forward at important 
crux points or juxtapositions of need and necessity to start. And once we follow the trail of miracles, once we are in alignment and in entanglement with the flow of our conscious nature, they show up more. We see them as the frequency of miracles go a little higher. We have nonstop synchronicities. And basically, we just have to allow the universe to do its part and not sabotage it along the way. And that, my friends, is called surrender. We can rely on the massive force of consciousness to do the heavy lifting for us. And we don't, we're not out here all, all, on, all on our own, trying to struggle, trying to make it, trying to keep ourselves out of danger and surviving and not just that, but thriving. A lot of times we don't even get to thriving because we're so busy surviving. So if we can get past some of our operating systems that keep us just surviving and use the universe, quote unquote use, or align with the universe to do the heavy lifting for us, we do start to thrive. How do we do this? Well, the guy, the Guiding and steering miracles, the little abundance miracles, and definitely the manifestation miracles will show us that self-awareness and the right relationship with our minds will clear away our limiting beliefs, our habits, our personal operating systems, and invites our natural state of miracles to become more permanent. I always kid that the gateway drug to miracles are our life-saving miracles. Because they are addictive, they are bringing us to new wonderment and new awe and new place for adventure and understanding of something completely life-shattering and life-changing and helpful, helpful. When we hear all of the miracles around the World Trade Towers, 9-11, that faded horrible day. There's a few that just stand out as the Force of Miracles, um, which are doing fantastic things. There was a story of a woman who was supposed to meet her friends for lunch or brunch or something that day at the World Trade Towers. And her mom, her mom called up and said, I'm coming for a visit right now. And the woman said, come on, mom, not the best time. You were just here. She goes, nope, nope, now's the right time. I'm coming now. And the woman surrendered to that, the demands of her older mother, um, instead of meeting her friends. She just gave in and surrendered and said, you know what, my mom is important. I'm going to be with her. And she was saved from the towers that day, the collapse of the towers that day. And unfortunately, her friends didn't make it. When you see those kinds of things, when you know miracles can move people into action, When you, and I've seen that multiple times, so I know it for a fact that it's true in my life and I'm just one person out of uh, 8 billion. If it's true for me, it's true for everyone else. If miracles can move people into action to save other people's lives, just like that woman's mother saved her life, just like other people moved into action to save my life, 
Doesn't that mean we should sit down and slow down, slow down, and maybe not, not be so on our trajectories that are so common and normal for us every day. Slow down, listen to people, give people our presence, pay attention, spend more time in perception, um, really perceiving through beyond our senses and beyond our mind those things that we align to, that we resonate to, and that other realm of higher self that we're not tuned into every day, all the time, like we should be or could be. And our miracles teach us that. Our miracles will teach us how to go deeper into presence, how to slow down and not rush through life, how to be in surrender. And all of this starts, could start, with a simple life-saving miracle. And I say simple, it's not simple at all, but those are the most common miracles that as a collective society, we hear about most often. And we still don't examine them. We don't pull them apart. It's time we change the conversation. It's time we start talking about our miracles and pulling them apart and looking at what does that show us about our consciousness, our divine conscious nature. What does that show us about this substrate of existence call it God, call it spirit, call it consciousness. What does that show us about that and how we are so entangled with it, whether we think we are or not? So that's where my dance with miracles started. We'll probably go through a couple more uh, miracles that were tantamount and monumental in understanding and going deeper into the path of miracles. So thank you for listening. I'd love to hear comments and conversations about your miracles and what they mean to you and how they changed your life. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into Dow of Miracles. This is Sarah Powell signing out. Thanks for listening. <laughs>